Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. It is the 11th of September. Of course, we're recording on the 10th of September. Sorry, it's the 12th of September. We're recording on the 11th of September. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And that's right, Giselle. It's sometimes the days just keep going past and you say, go, what day is it? And of course, you're listening to 3CR Radio and to Asia Pacific Cover, uh, Currents, your favourite uh, show on your favourite radio station. And it's brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, Giselle. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter. So look us up on those social media platforms. We continue to post news uh, and information about labour movement struggles across the Asia Pacific region. And I don't know about you, Pierre, but for me, the sunny weather has definitely had a positive impact on my mood as we're stuck in stage four lockdown here in Melbourne, Victoria. Uh, yes, I, I would agree. It's uh, very nice to sun, and also the days are getting longer. So when you stop work, you don't have to rush out thinking, I'll just get the last bit of light. You can actually have a bit more time afterwards as well to relax and, and go out. So... Um, and it's the curfew's been extended, which also helps with not having to rush out to um, get that last-minute work in uh, walk in after work time. That's right. That's right. So uh, in today's uh, program, Giselle, we'll obviously have the usual labour update from the region. But uh, what's the interview? In the second part of the show, we speak with Samar Sabawi, and she is a Palestinian. Uh, playwright, activist, author, academic, um, and we are talking about the peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel and the impact that that peace deal will have, if any, on uh, the ongoing struggle for Palestinian self-determination, autonomy, um, freedom from the occupation of Israel. So that is coming up in the second part of the show. But Pierre, first up, news from around the region. Fantastic. And yes, news from the region. Unfortunately, we uh, start the news uh, roundup with another occupation, major occupational health and safety issues where scores of workers have been killed in a Pakistani mine collapse. On Tuesday of this week, at least 22 workers were killed when there was a major landslide at the Ziarat Gar mountain at the foot hill in Khyber, Patunkawa, Safi town near the Afghanistan border. This was a marble mining operation. Reports indicate that dozens of other workers were seriously injured. There are reports that there may actually still be some more workers who uh, may be buried in that landslide. Health and safety in Pakistani mines is usually minimal. And this year alone, around 100 workers have been killed in 44 separate reported accidents so far this year. And still on the tragic state of um, the situation for workers globally, we go to the Stop the Killings campaign in the Philippines. 
a number of human rights organisations in the Philippines, such as Karapatan, the National Union of People's Lawyers, and the Kalikasan People's Network for the Environment, and put out a call for a global day of action against a continuing reign of terror and murders in the Philippines, and that date is scheduled for Monday the 14th of September. These organisations are appealing to international groups and organisations to support and intervene in the Philippines as they have no faith that the Filipino government will take any actions to either rein in the death squads or bring the perpetrators of these killings to justice. A um, terrible ongoing uh, disaster in the Philippines for our comrades. We now go to uh, West Asia, to Lebanon. Um, earlier this month, President Macron of uh, France made a publicised uh, second visit to Lebanon following the massive blast in August that flattened most of Beirut's port and part of the central city and killed almost 200 people. President Macron's visit was supposed to bring help and support to those affected by the blast, but in reality, it was an attempt by the French government to increase its role and influence in Lebanon and the region. Now, instead of the public welcome he was expecting, his visit was greeted by widespread protests, with activists saying that uh, his visit was just another attempt to reorganize the state and the ruling elites, but not to challenge inequality, exploitation and corruptions. Demonstrators were met by massive police and army presence, including including their use of high-velocity metal pellets against demonstrators, indicating an increase in the level of repression against these long-running popular protests. And in Pakistan, workers in Pakistan, like in other countries in the region, are facing increasing attacks by employers. Just last week, close to 600 workers were sacked from the Al Karam textile factory. These workers are now picketing at the factory gates, not only demanding their jobs back, but an end to insecure work practices. At another dispute, over 2,000 workers have been fighting for over five months against their dismissal from the Abparahim Fibre Faisalabad factory in Faisalabad. Three days ago, their picket line outside the factory gates was viciously attacked by police. Many of the workers were injured, while at least 50 workers were taken away by the police. In another industrial um, Global Day of Action, we on the 4th of September was the Global Day for Garment Workers. It was a Global Day of Action to stop union busting in the garment sector that uh, involved workers from the main textile producing countries in Southeast Asia and South Asia. In Cambodia, the major unions there have seen that hundreds of union members, leaders and activists have been dismissed at dozen of factories under the guise of COVID-19. In nearby Myanmar, garment workers have not had a wage rise since 2018, while in the last few days, the Sun Yun factory in Yangon dismissed 112 workers. Now, the interesting fact about this number is that this number of 112 represented the total unionized workforce in this factory. While in the Philippines, unions uh, report that around 4,000 workers have been illegally laid off from four garment factories in the Mactan economic zone in Cebu City. And the Turkish lawyer has finally been released from jail. Last week, we brought you the sad news of the death of Ebru Timtik, 
Turkish human rights lawyer on a hunger strike. This week, we can bring the news that one of her colleagues, Aytaç Unsal, who's 32, who had been on hunger strike for 213 days and was critically ill in hospital in Istanbul, has now been released from detention by a decision from the Supreme Court. Aytaç had also been sentenced on terrorism charges. Human rights activists have called for other arrested lawyers to be released, while the Istanbul Bar Association draped a giant photo of Ebru Timtik to mark her death. And for our last uh, item, we go to South Korea, where uh, Korean teachers uh, have won their union back. Last week, the South Korean Supreme Court annulled a decision by the former Park Yun-hee government to ban the Korean Teachers and Education Workers Union, the KTU. In 2013, the Conservative Park Yun-hee government had banned the union, founded in 1989, because it it, uh, had nine dismissed teachers as its members, allegedly violating the law on the teachers union that stated only incumbent teachers were recognised as union members. The union, which has around 60,000 members, has fought this ruling and has continued to organise and defend its members during this time. The matter will now go to a lower court for a retrial. And that brings us to the end of news from around the region. We're going to go to some community announcements and then our feature story for the morning. An important message from the Victorian Government about coronavirus. To manage coronavirus and save lives, immediate action is required. This means if you can stay home, you must stay home. Yes, it's a major disruption to your lives, but this disruption today will save the lives of many Victorians tomorrow. If you think you may have coronavirus, call the government's hotline on 1800 675 398 or visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Victorian Government. Managing this together. A 3CR supporter. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with Pierre and Giselle. And our feature story this morning is an interview with Samar Sabawi, a Palestinian activist, author, playwright and academic. She's speaking about the peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel and what this means for Palestinian sovereignty and Palestinian struggle. So basically what this agreement means is that um, 
it's a, it's a, a public relations victory for Israel uh, because ever since its inception, Israel has been isolated from nearly um, every other country in, in the Muslim um, Middle East. So with only Egypt and Jordan, as you said, having a peace deal with it. So having a third Arab country um, breaks uh, or chips away at that isolation uh, and, and grants the Israeli government a, a public relations uh, branding exercise uh, that they are becoming more accepted. And the difference here too is that with Egypt and with, uh, with Jordan, the peace agreement uh, was land for peace, um, included a few caveats about relationships between the two countries. Um, some leverage was used, but in this particular case, uh, the United Arab Emirates um, didn't really get anything in return. Uh, they did say that they were able to get Israel to hold off on its annexation, but Netanyahu very quickly said, no, 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 <laughs> plans are going ahead. So they didn't even get to say that they got this. So it was what the Israeli writers are calling peace for peace. Now, this is really dangerous because um, what it, in essence, means for Israel is it means that um, it's a win for the, for the doctrine of might is right, uh, that, that we can continue to um, hold on to power and to expand our power. Uh, and while doing that, uh, we will be able to eventually normalize within the region without having to... to bring the Palestinians into the picture or without having to address the Palestinian issues um, and, and the Palestinian uh, um, you know, demands uh, and while continuing to commit as many war crimes <laughs> as we see fit in order for us to, to maintain our power. So it's a very dangerous situation, but that's really the first thing that this has meant for Israel. For Dubai and for, for the United Arab Emirates, it, it meant um, it was, it, it's kind of seen as good for trade. Now, the United Arab Emirates has had ties with Israel, trade ties, for quite some time. So this whole idea that they are now signing a peace treaty is really just for the public consumption. There was no war between the United Arab Emirates um, and Israel. The only thing that there was, was this refusal to go public with a relationship that everybody knew was, was, was happening. Um, now, Dubai is a business hub for the region. And so normalization with the United Arab Emirates um, could mean and, and has actually uh, materialized in having the ministers of these two countries very quickly opening their phone lines to each other and unblocking the internet access. And, and allowing the Emirati companies and Israeli companies to trade out in the sun. Um, like I said before, it's not like they were withholding um, trade ties uh, to begin with. It's also uh, got a, significance, uh, a significant uh, impact on the arms trade. The United Arab Emirates is, of course, hoping that it would be able to access uh, arms and weapons that were considered to be off limits to an Arab country, especially to, to, the, to this, these particular Gulf countries. Uh, they need more drones, they need fighter jets in order to continue um, with their uh, horrific and, and criminal war on Yemen, and possibly in order to be able to, uh, 
to practice, uh, well, to, to enhance their ca capacities in order to take on the war on Iran, which the United Arab Emirates, Israel, and Saudi Arabia are really pushing hard for. Um, the other, the last thing it means really, which is really bad news for the people of the United Arab Emirates, is um, it, it, it has a significance in, in the technology of surveillance. Um, the United Arab Emirates now has an opportunity to collaborate on technology um, and to buy um, or, and, and use more of uh, Israel's uh, technology of surveillance on its populations. Um, and that would help the United Arab Emirates, of course, keep its own population under control, um, keep the movements to democratize um, the, the United Arab Emirates um, under control, keep civil rights activists and human rights activists in their place. Um, and I mean, this is something that's become very important for countries in the Gulf region and for countries in the wider Middle East ever since the Arab uh, Spring, um, you know, up to the, the point where, where um, the Arab Spring began, Palestine was used by all these Arab governments and regimes um, as, as a way to say, look, we, we, have, we have these draconian uh, emergency laws in place because we have an enemy state, Israel, and we are with the Palestinian people and you know, um, we will liberate Palestine. And so they appeal to their masses with just using this, this rhetoric. But um, the Arab Spring has made it clear that uh, the people of the Arab world wanted democracies, they wanted voice. Um, and, um, you know, if you go back to, to the year when it all started, when the Arab Spring started, protesters in all the Arab countries were waving Palestinian flags um, with Palestinian resistance being, uh, an inspiration to them and with Palestine being uh, something that remained in the hearts of the Arab masses. Now that was then, right now the situation is different because um, uh, what came after the protests um, and, and the calls for democracy is, is these heavy handed reactions uh, from these authoritarian governments that wanted to protect themselves, whether it be it by um, just changing the face of their leadership, but maintaining the status quo of oppression against their people, um, or, or going into these long protracted um, uh, uh, wars like we've seen the civil war in Syria, uh, where the regime has, uh, you know, been responsible for, for tremendous and, and, and horrific uh, violations of, of international law. We've got the, the Syrian refugees became such you know, one of the, I think it is the world's largest refugee population at the moment. So with all that happening, Palestine stopped being at the heart of the Arab uh, countries, not because the Arab masses in the Arab world have forgotten Palestine or, or do not feel strongly for Palestine, but they have their own problems and their own demons to fight right now. And I think that created just the amount of, um, of, of, uh, uh, you know, just the, the amount of distraction that has allowed the Gulf countries today, especially the United Arab Emirates, uh, to be able to do something so brazen and to give away, uh, you know, their last shred of, of, uh, of dignity by, by having uh, an affair that they held in secret, having it come into the light and saying, oh, we, we are totally in bed with Israel and we're okay with that. Uh, almost in further bad news for Palestine and the Middle East um, and fighting on another front. Um, 
I want to take you back to the announcement of Netanyahu back in June, where he proposed plans of further annexation of the West Bank. Um, and then that proposal seemed to go cold. It didn't go anywhere. It was scheduled to take place on the 1st of July. And we know that Israel never um, shies away from its uh, repression, oppression, occupation of Palestine, Palestinian ter territory. So, so what happened with, with this plan? What went wrong? Or is it continuing in private, in, in hiding? Uh Nothing really happened. I mean, it's it still is on the table. Um, Netanyahu never said that he was going to stop it. Um, look, the, the whole the whole, this is just a, a linguistic exercise, if you will. Um, Israel has, um, for better or for worse, actually for worse, Israel has maintained its control of uh, the entire um, historic Palestine, Gaza, the West Bank, uh, all the occupied territories. It's had a one state and practiced a one-state apartheid rule since 1967. Um, and the idea that Palestinians were going to have a state along the 1967 borders uh, in accordance with resolution um, 242 under international law that, um, that sees the, that all the land that Israel occupied in 1967 um, is illegally occupied and that Israel must withdraw from that. The idea that we were going to have these two states, um, that's been dead and buried for over 10 years now. Um, the negotiations went nowhere with the Palestinian, between the Palestinians and the Israelis, because Israel has always treated the entire land of historic Palestine as, um, as land that it can continue to control. Uh, the Palestinians were a problem to be dealt, dealt with in, in different um, parts in different ways. So we've got... Uh, Palestinians locked up in, in, in Bantu stands, um, suffering from different levels of oppression, depending on where they are, but all of them are stripped their rights and their, and their freedoms. Uh, and so what Israel wanted to do with this annexation is exactly what it did with, with uh, before that when it annexed um, East Jerusalem and, and declared that, uh, that Jerusalem was, uh, was the capital of Israel. Nothing changed on the ground for the Palestinians. The same policies that have been carried out since 1967, which is the, the slow ethnic cleansing and, and um, discrimination and oppression, that is all still ongoing. Israel is still on that same track. Uh, what they wanted to do with the annexation was to just get the international community to basically say, that's fine. It's Israel's now. This is land that belongs to Israel. And um, the international community is not quite ready to do this at the moment, so, uh, and they knew that they were gonna get kickback. Uh, it doesn't matter for Netanyahu. For him, it was just an election, um, uh, an election thing that, that uh, you know, a, a stunt to, to, to appease the, the right wing. It doesn't change anything on the ground. The Palestinians aren't um, convinced that, uh, that anything has changed on the ground. And so, you know, what does it mean? It just means that we have to continue to resist. Um, the, the one thing that this has exposed uh, in a big way was just how inadequate the Palestinian Authority is um, and how, you know, they, they, they've expired. Their role as representatives has expired a long time ago and they're still um, holding on. Um, and and it's like dead man walking. You, you watch these figures come and go and talk about 
um, international law and, 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 you know, and the Palestinian state. And, you know, you don't know whether to feel sorry for them or to just feel really angry because they are still playing the same roles that they were handed 20 years ago when, when the curtain has come down and everybody's left the theater. What are they doing? So, you know, what does it mean in the end? It means that we are, as Palestinians, we are facing a very difficult uh, moment in, in our struggle where um, we, we are not divided. I mean, I hear sometimes um, analysts say, you know, if the Palestinians were not so divided, it's not a, it's not a, a problem of division of, of, um, of what it is that we want. Every Palestinian you'll talk to is gonna tell you that they want the right to return. They want an end to the occupation. They want equality and freedom. Uh, so we're not divided as far as the goal, the end, you know, what is it that we want? Um, but we don't have a leadership. There's a leadership vacuum. Well, Samah, thank you so much for your time on the program today. Is there anything you want to add to the discussion? Um, thank you for having me, Giselle. The only thing that I would want to add is that um, is the urgency of this moment for all of us, whether you live in Australia or in the US or in the Middle East, uh, our world is changing very, very fast. And there is, um, there is a very uh, uh, organized campaign by people like Trump, people like Netanyahu, people who, um, who are on the far right of politics, who have no respect for human rights, who have no respect for, for, for life on this planet, who have no respect for the environment. Um, and it's these people, um, they, 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 are, um, they need to be stopped. And so we cannot be complacent. And we have to organize better. And we have to be able to let our words be heard through all the noise that's out there and insist on the truth and insist on justice, freedom and dignity for everyone on this planet. And that was Samar Sabawi, Palestinian playwright, uh, activist, um, author, academic. And she was talking about the current situation for Palestinian solidarity in light of the UAE and Israel peace deal. And Pierre, that brings us to the end of another Asia-Pacific Currents. That's right, Giselle. Another full week of, of events from the region. And um, we, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, keep listening to Asia Pacific Currents on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio, and stay um, uh, tuned to all our social media um, um, releases from Australia Asia Worker Links. But we'll be back next week. That's all from me, Pierre Morrow. And me, Giselle Hannah.